Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome again to Daily Daf Differently. Today in Tractate Shabbat, we're studying page Samach Dalet, or page 64. One of the great uh, rabbinic figures of the of the 19th century, known as Rav Chaim Velazhen of Lithuania, said that you couldn't really study Torah Lishma, study for its own sake, unless it was something that had no application to practice. If it was about practice, then, then you know, contemporary people would study so they would know how to practice. But true disinterested study was to study something archaic that wasn't practiced anymore. Well, he might have been thinking about our page, because in the first half of our page, it's, uh, it's taken up entirely with theoretical uh, constructions of the laws of purity and impurity and uh, woven garments out of cloth or, or sackcloth garments made out of goat's hair. Very relevant stuff, right? Well, it actually has no application to anything nowadays. The difference between the kind of uh, impurity that is imposed by touching a dead body, dead human body, or by uh, dead animal bodies, I confess with all with all reverence that it's not something that grabbed my own eyes too much, but what comes at the bottom of our page, Samech Dalet Amud Aleph, into the next page, is literally a little bit racier because it is a description, uh, an agotic description or, or a homiletical exposition of the passage in Numbers 31, where after the women of Midian had seduced the Israelites, there is a war, and Moses sends out 12,000 troops to go attack the attack the Midianites, and they come back uh, having not been quite as bloody as Moses would have liked, and they come back bringing all sorts of spoils of war. And Moses, uh, first of all, first of all, in in a kind of, kind of racy passage, or at least sort of interesting passage about the sexual fantasies of the rabbis, they they come back according to the homiletical exposition, having uh, carried back from the Midianites uh, jewelry that is supposed to be something like a bra, something like a golden bra that the Midianites women with Midianite women wore, and some sort of genital jewelry that the Midianite women wore. I don't have any idea if ancient people did such things, but at least the sages imagine them to have done such things. Uh, and there is one piece of jewelry known as the Kumaz, Kaf, Vav, Mem, Zion, which the rabbis take as an acronym for Kan, Mekom, Zima. Here is the place of licentiousness. So that's how you know where it was worn. And Moses yells at the people and gets mad at them and says, what have you done? Don't you understand that all the bad things that happened to the people because you were sexually seduced by the Midianites, now you've kept some of these women alive, Moses thinks. They should have they should have killed them. And you brought back this sexy jewelry. And the people says, Don't worry. The people say, Don't worry, none of us, not a single one of us, violated any sexual prohibition. But we are here offering this this korban, this this uh, penitential sacrifice. Moses says to them, according to the rabbi's exposition, 
if nobody did anything bad, why do you have to offer a, 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 a sacrifice of repentance? They said, well, we didn't do anything bad, but we certainly thought about doing bad things. So that's why we have to bring the sacrifice. On the next page, the next page is quite, uh, quite interesting in its own way with respect to uh, sexual relationships between husbands and wives. This chapter, as we certainly know by now, is mostly connected with what uh, people can wear from the private sphere into the public sphere. And the major uh, fear that this chapter expresses is that if people have fancy clothing, they are likely to, especially women, are likely to take off their jewelry to show it to their friends and wind up carrying it by hand in the public sphere. And so, so fancy jewelry is not supposed to be worn on Shabbat at all. And there are all sorts of uh, border cases. And our Mishnah on the next page on Amud Bet says that there are certain things that, that women can go. They can they can go with a certain kind of hairnet made out of either human hair, her own hair, or, her, or another another human being's hair, or uh, or animal hair. You can you can use that as a sort of hair adornment. Uh, it goes on to say that uh, you can if, if you have something in your mouth that is medicinal, like a they use evidently pepper or salt in some sort of medicinal fashion, and you can go out with certain medicinal things like uh, a plug in the ear, or of all things, the Mishnah says a tampon. You know, a menstruating woman can go out wearing a tampon, and that's not a violation of uh, a violation of carrying on Shabbat. And they go on and they say that women can wear. Uh, wigs, not into the public sphere, but at least into the private sphere, even without an official Eruv. There's a debate, actually, about this in the uh, Gemara, and the Amoraic, that is to say, post-Mishnaic authority, Rav, is portrayed as giving the hardline position that uh, that the only thing that a woman can, can wear um, uh, among the forbidden items into the into the courtyard, if not into the public sphere, is the wig, but all the other things not even into the courtyard. And another figure disagrees with him. What's interesting about this from the uh, rules of rabbinic debate is that the lenient figure, whose name is Rabbi Anani Bar Sasson, uh, is, is portrayed as giving the view of an earlier authority, Rabbi Yishmael, and that Rav is portrayed as disagreeing with that earlier authority. Now, basically, according to Talmudic rules of argument, that's not okay. Later authorities shouldn't be uh, disagreeing with earlier authorities. And and yet, Rav is portrayed as having a good argument on his side that wearing those things, into, wearing adornments, additional adornments into the public sphere will be a violation of mar'it ayin, that is to say, uh, creating the misapprehension that somebody is is violating Shabbat. Rav's position about the, the specific lenience that is given to uh, wigs, uh, for, for women to wear wigs into the courtyard, is because, uh, so it says here, that if, if women can't adorn themselves at least a little bit, they will become loathsome to their husbands. There's, a, there's a, uh, an image here that women should dress up for their husbands, and if they fail to dress up, it won't be good for the relationship. And they, they cite here an interesting earlier text that Rabbi Akiva, the famous Rabbi Akiva, was a lenient figure in this way, that in previous generations to him, the sages said that menstruant women should in fact make themselves ugly. That is to say, uh, the sexual prohibitions imposed during menstruation were so strong 
that, that women shouldn't try to make themselves beautiful. They should try to make themselves ugly, and that'll be a good thing because it'll, it'll forestall any possible sexual violation. Rabbi Akiva says, no, no, this is bad for relationships. People, uh, people should, he says, still keep the sexual prohibitions, but it'll be bad for relationships instead. Even, even during her period, women should dress up a little bit so that their husbands can still, can still, uh, find them attractive. Um, there's an interesting part of this page, which is to say the reception of the disagreement between Rabbi Anani and Rav. Rav's position, as I mentioned, is more or less strict that a wig can be worn into the courtyard, but nothing else. And that is, if you look here on our page, what the Spanish authorities hold. Rabbeinu Kananel, who is in Cairo, Tunisia, said that that is true, that the only thing women could, could wear an adornment uh, into a non-courtyard uh, without an Eru would, would be a wig alone. But the Tosafot, the European authorities, take a different position, which is ultimately the one that the Shulchan Aruch will take itself, which is that in our days, our days for the Tosafot means uh, the 12th century, and our days for you and me means the 21st century, uh, in our days it's common that people can wear, women can wear into uh, into non-Aruf spaces, all kinds of jewelry, people are not accustomed to taking, taking off their jewelry to display it to others, and furthermore, the Tosafot say, if you've been with us since the beginning of Tractate Shabbat, these will be familiar terms. Forgive me if, uh, if, if you haven't been with us all this time. Uh, the, the Tosafot say that nowadays we don't have a real Rishut Harabim, we don't have a real public sphere. Our public spheres are, are what's called a Karmelit, the middle space, so the, the middle ground space, which is not a real Rishut Harabim, not a real public sphere. And so, Truthfully, it's not quite as big a deal, the Tosafot say, because even if you wore uh, a necklace into the into our nowadays public space and took it off, it would only be a rabbinic violation. It wouldn't be a biblical violation anyway. And so nowadays, even in very, very observant communities, there is not any restriction on wearing wigs or jewelry or rings or anything like that into the public sphere. Thank you for studying this page with me, and thank you for spending this week with me. Uh, this concludes my week here on page 64 of Shabbat, and join us uh, for the next day for someone else to lead us on page 65. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.